Hello and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be the elaboration on the final part of the Van Armani Dim Age interview. This may or may not be the end of this series, depending on how much I can cram into this one episode. And I will try to cram a lot into this. I will see if I can do all the elaboration in this single episode. That's my goal, at least. We'll see. So the topics that I will be covering and that Vin and I had covered in that last section of the interview were related to action and how to live out the types of things we're talking about. We talked about the Trinity and some more spiritual things. Vin got into praying. We talked a little bit about the tree analogy a little more and a few other analogies like bees and trails and roads and those other ones that were mentioned there. And uh, I think that's the majority of it. At the end, we talked a little bit about uh, crypto and alternative platforms and some recommendations, those kinds of things. So that should give you a bit of a recap of what you listened to last week. And now for this week, I will go ahead and jump in with the first thing that we began talking about in this last section, and that was the topic of action. And the idea here is what does that look like for liberty? What does that look like if our goal is freedom? And the answer, I would say, would be agorism. And I think Ven would probably agree with me on that. But what does agorism look like in the real world? The the short answer would be the counter-economy and counter-economics. But the long answer, the very expounded answer, would be go back and listen to the series I did on agorism. I did a whole series about different aspects of agorism at the end of season one. So listen to that. But the in-between answer that is still very short would be that You can do this in so many different ways. You can grow your own food. You can make your own stuff. That could be making your own soap to 3D printing your own items that you're going to use and that you need. It could be related to taking self-defense into your own hands and your own protection. It could be focused on data security and data privacy. It could be starving out, in a sense, the state, the corporate world, the things that you don't agree with, and not giving your money to those products and services and systems. It could be using alternative systems more to grow them rather than to take away from the ones you don't agree with. And, uh, you know, you basically achieve both of those goals when you go into alternative systems versus the mainstream systems. One example of that could be cryptocurrency, getting into using cryptocurrencies instead of fiat dollars, doing investing in the form of physical gold and silver or physical real estate, and that gets a little touchy, or cryptocurrency. There are many different ways that you can apply these things. You can buy things that are sourced locally, that local people are making and doings, whether it be services or goods. You can personally get to know people and grow a community of like-minded people. Freedom Cells would be a very good example of that, that we are actually doing in my area as well. And so there are so many different ways of actually applying this. And 
the form that this takes is going to differ depending on who you are, depending on your skills, depending on uh, who is around you, as well as just the territory that you live in, the government that you are under, the restrictions that exist in your area, as well as your environmental restrictions. You might not live in a place that is very good for growing large amounts of food. But then again, maybe you could grow indoors and that might solve that issue. There are just so many different things involved here. So again, if you want more on that part, go back and listen to the series on agorism. The conversation did pretty quickly veer into the realm of the spiritual world as it has, surprisingly enough, in this interview. That was not something I had expected, but that's where it went. And so to get into that aspect, Vin talked about opening up to spirits and to the spiritual realm. And so the one thing that I would definitely like to comment on on that subject would be that opening up to the spiritual realm and to spirits is a dangerous thing. It is something that requires wisdom and discernment. It can be extremely good as well as extremely bad. We have talked a lot about that in these elaboration episodes, so I shouldn't have to get into that even more, at least not to a great extent. But the focus should be on the Trinity. And Vin did mention the Trinity in the interview as well. You do have angels would be something that comes into play depending on your denomination as well as the saints. And so that is something I am not really going to dive into. But what the word angels actually means is just messenger. And that could apply to anything, not necessarily the stereotype for the spiritual being that comes down from heaven. But even if you go with that stereotype, the angel is the messenger. And one of the big points, especially in the New Testament, is that there is a way to access the Most High. And the Trinity is that solution. It's not that you're going through other intermediaries. It's not that there are other paths to get there, uh, per se. And there is a lot of nuance and theological differences of opinions and all of that. And again, I'm not getting into that. But the main focus should be the Trinity. And that is what I would say. And I would also say that opening up yourself to the spiritual realm as a whole and to any spiritual entities that want to communicate with you or commune with you in any way, that is not something that I would advise at all. That can be very dangerous. So I would recommend that you make sure that the spiritual openness that you have is oriented towards a righteous path towards the Trinity. Now, with the Trinity, I can break that down in a way that should be very familiar to those of you that have followed this podcast long term. I have talked about the trivium many times, the trivium being grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And that is a model used for education. That's a model used for understanding the world in many different ways. And it's a model that can be easily and well applied to the Trinity. The stereotypical example, in case you are unfamiliar with the idea of the trivium, would be language. And language is made up out of grammar. There are letters, there are punctuation marks, there are all of these different pieces. That would be the grammar section of language. 
and this could even include things like words. The next part of the trivium is logic, and logic would be how these words, how these characters, how these punctuation marks, how all of these things come together, how that sentence structure comes together and works together to form certain ideas. How do you make sense out of all of this grammar? What does all of this mean? That would be the logic. How does it all work? How does it all work together? How do we understand it? Then the final part of the trivium would be rhetoric. And within the context of language, rhetoric would be how do you get ideas across and how do you understand overarching and in-depth ideas? You might understand the definition of a word and how multiple words are brought together to form a sentence and roughly what that sentence means. But if I am trying to get across to you some large, maybe esoteric idea or concept, or I'm trying to explain something to you that you don't understand, you're going to need to know a little more than just the grammar and how those work together to form sentences and paragraphs and such. You are going to need to get into the rhetoric that is getting those ideas across and understanding those ideas. That would be the art of writing and literature and speech these types of things. That would be the rhetoric. That would be getting the meaning across. So you've got these three parts. You have the grammar, and that would be the base level. You have the logic, which would be how do these base things work together and fit together. Then you have the rhetoric. How does meaning get established and communicated with all of these things? And so that's the idea here. And if you apply this and overlay this onto the Trinity, the Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you can use this exact same framework and it works very well. You have this grammar aspect where God is the beginning of everything. God is. And God created all of the basic things, all the way down to the atomic level and lower. God created everything. And so you have God as the grammar of of everything, of the universe, of anything that you could possibly know or interact with, anything in existence, whether it be esoteric or physical. So God is the grammar there. Then the logic, how do all of these things work together in the world and in thought and morality? How are they manifested in the world we live in? That would be the idea of Jesus, Yeshua, God the Son. That would be the second part of the trivium. He manifested himself in human physical form and explained the ideas of God's principles and how those really applied, how those things work together. How do you make sense of all of that? That would be the logic aspect. And then the rhetoric aspect would be the spirit, also known as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost or the Ruach HaKodesh that goes by many names, but it's the same thing. The third part of the Trinity, the spirit, is what reveals, it's what guides, it's what helps with discernment for us to understand and us to learn and for these greater ideas to become manifest in our minds. That would be the rhetoric aspect of this. And so you could look at the trivium as being a good way of maybe better understanding the trinity and what you are trying 
to access on that spiritual level. And so that's the idea there. Now, we could also use the basic trivia method to understand truth as a whole, to understand what is unseen, to understand how the universe works. And I'm going to relay this in a slightly different way, but using the same framework. So with the trivium, we have, number one, the grammar. We have basically the world. We have everything in it, physically and spiritually, all of these things. We have life. We have all of this stuff. These are the building blocks of existence. And that would be the the God the Father aspect of the Trinity, and that would be the grammar aspect of the trivium. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have the totally immaterial spiritual realm. We have ideas and concepts and morality, and these are things that are represented by the final aspect of the trinity or the trivium. That would be the spirit or the rhetoric aspect of this, and so that is more of the spiritual side. So we have, on one hand, the grammar. We have all the base things that exist. On the other hand, we have spiritual meaning that will help us understand those base things at a much higher level on a spiritual level. And then in between, you have the logic. You have how do these things work together? What is the marriage of the material and the immaterial, of the physical and the spiritual? And that would be the logic. That would be God the Son. That would be Yeshua. That would be the Logos. That is the aspect of the Trinity and the Trivium that brings everything together, that helps it to make sense, that takes all of the different basic pieces and applies them, matches them with their greater meaning, with their greater purpose, with their spiritual identity, so to say. And another way of looking at this aspect of understanding all of this that would be the aspect of rhetoric. How is all of this really communicated to us? How can we really understand all of these things besides just having this framework of grammar, logic, rhetoric, and knowing the pieces and knowing kind of how they're manifested? How is that aspect of understanding and communication actually manifested because that is a very important aspect if you're trying to understand all this stuff. And so with this, we would want to know how does all of this affect us? How does it interact with us? How does God relay this to us? And some of the answers, because there are many, would be things like nature or the scriptures or the patriarchs or the early church fathers or history as a whole. We've spent a lot of time dissecting the patterns in history and how history plays out. History is fact of things that happened, but history also can tell a story, a narrative, or show a pattern or both. You've got parables as another way of these things being relayed to us. You have Mosaic Law. You have the prophets. You have 
Jesus manifested in human form and explaining these things even further. He is using rhetoric, and then he sends the Holy Spirit back down when he leaves, and the Holy Spirit is to help us to discern and understand and to reveal things to us, to steer us in the right direction. We have all of these different ways, and all of them are viable. I've listened to a lot of podcasts recently that talk a lot about the natural order of things, the natural way, and getting back to things like astrology and nature and environmentalism and all of these things. And that would be an aspect of the rhetoric that comes to us through nature. We can see that things clearly work in a certain way. They clearly interact together in a certain way. There is a way that is natural, and we can identify that strictly by looking at nature, and that is it. And so that is one aspect of rhetoric that is very viable, very useful. But then you also have things like the scriptures, and you also have all of those other things that I mentioned. There are many different ways, and ideally, we look at all of these different forms of rhetoric that is used to relay this information, to communicate these ideas and this theology to us, and that is how we can understand. You have the aspect of prayer that Vin talked a lot about in this final section, and that is another aspect. That's what you're doing, is trying to commune with the Trinity, and you're trying to better understand. You're trying to build a relationship. You are trying to do a lot of things. A lot of things can be accomplished through prayer. And again, that is another aspect of getting to a deeper level of understanding. Now, when you flip over to the Church of Woke, to the Kingdom of Darkness, to the Kingdom of Man, whatever you want to refer to that as, the ritual of prayer is done differently. This is secular prayer. This is done through meditation. This is done through, quote, spirituality of a more universal nature. This is done very differently. It is an aspect of searching oneself for feelings and emotions and deeper truths and finding the peace of God inside all of us, so to say, is a phrase that is used. And so you have these aspects of prayer. This would be the more spiritual, immaterial aspect of prayer in the other kingdom, the opposing kingdom uh, within the Church of Woke. And so in, in one way, I, I will give this caveat, there is nothing inherently wrong with meditation or with assessing yourself and exploring yourself on a deeper level. There is nothing wrong with these types of things. It is when these types of things are pointed to something that is opposed to the natural order, that is opposed to the Logos, that is opposed to the Trinity, that is part of a different kingdom, a different set of values, a different set of morals. Because remember, the deity behind the Church of Woke, or just the Church of Woke as a whole, is anti-God. It is the opposite. Everything's the opposite. I've talked about this before. It's all about death. It's not about life. Uh, the morality is the opposite. The goals are the opposite. Just the whole framework of we create what we want is the complete opposite as we match everything to the way God designed it, to the way nature shows us, to the natural order. Those are opposite things. And so 
again, it's not necessarily that the practice of, say, meditation is bad. That can be very good. But if it is oriented towards and pointed towards something that is the opposite of the natural order of things, I personally would say that that is not a good thing. That would be bad. And so that is at least the distinction that I am making here. Now, there is a more physical, material, uh, secular aspect of praying within this other kingdom, within the Church of Woke, that, again, is more material. And that would be something like voting. Um, that's what you're doing. You're beseeching the entities above you to do something or to at least have your desires and your values heard by someone that has more power than you do. That That's what you're doing when you are voting for things or voting for people. You also have the idea of posting to the ether, so to say, of social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all of these different things, blogs. These types of things are very heavily used within the Church of Woke and within this woke movement. And it's the same thing. You are basically taking your ideas, your desires, your uh, more inner feelings, and you are posting them out there to something beyond yourself, which is very similar to what you're doing when you are praying in the more religious aspect of praying to God. And this is just done differently. And you have another aspect of this, which would be protesting. Protesting is something where you are going out physically, you are making your presence known, and you are making, again, your desires, your feelings, your value system. You are making this known in a way that you hope will manifest in the form of changing the way reality is. It's it's magic, I guess. That's what you're doing there. And that would be just like prayer, where oftentimes you will pray for things in order to hopefully have an impact on whether it be the material world, the physical world, on other people, on yourself, on your own feelings and emotions, or your understanding or wisdom, or whatever the case may be. You are trying to accomplish something through this action of letting your desires, your feelings, your thoughts be known to something beyond yourself. Now, Vin also mentioned something about reaching God, reaching the Most High outside of the church and outside of Scripture. And there are examples of that. The example of the saint in the desert in Egypt, I believe, uh, was the example, if I remember right, that's the example that he used. I've heard so many interviews with him. I listened to two more today that I hadn't heard before. And so uh, sometimes the information gets a little jumbled there. But uh, he did mention this topic and concept of reaching God outside of the church. And what I would say about that, and I've mentioned this before, I just think it is definitely worth highlighting that this can be true, but this is very dangerous. This is something where you need something solid. If you're just opening yourself up to anything, that's probably not going to go so well for you. Now it could, it could. You could open yourself up to the spiritual realm and ask to be enlightened, and maybe you do reach God, the Most High, the Trinity, through that fashion. But I would just say that this is something that can be very dangerous. You don't want to base things on feelings and emotions, on 
doing some meditation and going within yourself and then whatever comes to your mind, whatever you feel, uh, these types of things, that that's where you go. That is dangerous. You don't want to be a house built on sand because emotions and feelings are sand. They change. They're fickle. And they can be manipulated very easily. Truth is something that is solid. Truth is rock. The church is supposed to be the rock. And so that is where scripture especially plays a very important role of very clearly laying out what those foundational truths are. And again, like I mentioned earlier, you can get a lot of those foundational truths in nature, but you are not going to get it just by the feel of the woods and the way that um, it plays with your emotions. No, it's going to be actually looking at how things work. Now, you can combine the two, and that can be very useful. But if you are only going for the feelings and emotions and more of the new age spirituality, that is something that, again, is very dangerous. Another misconception that I think is very common in today's world, and unfortunately even in the modern church, is that if you believe that the Bible is true and you believe that God exists, then you're good to go. You are a Christian, you are part of this movement, you have your get out of hell free card, and you are good. But the catch here is that that's not what it's all about. There are multiple verses that talk about this. Um, basically, the idea is that even the demons believe in God and in Jesus. You had demons crying out, you know, do not pass judgment on me before the appointed time, whenever Jesus would come up to the possessed people. That happened multiple times. The demons believe in God. They believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the physical manifestation of the Godhead in human form. They believed those things. According to the Bible, this is something that is truth even to them. But are you saying that the demons are Christians? No, they are not. Just because you believe in something that is truth even, that's not it. That is a step. That is a requirement. But that's not it. And so, even if you go beyond this concept of just, you know, going by your emotions, your feelings, your inner mind, whatever the case may be, the more new age feel to it, even if you go beyond that and say, oh, well, yes, I believe that there is a spiritual world, and I believe that there is a God that created everything, and I believe that the Bible is true in describing all of these things— Again, that's another step, but that is not the end. That is not saying that you are following the path, so to say, or a part of the kingdom of God. And so there is much more to that. So I, I think that definitely is something that must be said. Now, Vin posed a question after that about which tree will you be a part of? Which tree are you associated with? Is it the tree of the Church of Woke or the tree of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? Which tree are you a part of? Because you are a branch and you will produce fruit. Now, the question is, what limb, what source, what trunk, what root system are you ultimately connected to because you're a branch and you are connected to one? And so uh, to identify which one that is and what that means is pretty important. And there are other analogies in the Bible that talk about this, about uh, branches being grafted in, and it's kind of this same concept and idea here. But the overall point is that either 
you are a part of the Church of Woke, let's say an NPC for the Church of Woke, if you want to put it in, uh, I guess, a little more derogatory terms here, um, or you are a free will bond servant of Christ in the kingdom of God. And those are your two options, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Now, I know plenty of people that would disagree with me on this. And again, this is not a religious podcast, so to say, even though I'm diving into all of these religious and biblical topics. uh, Overall, this podcast doesn't really get into this. This is the only time I've ever gotten into any of this stuff in any kind of depth like this. And so uh, that's kind of the caveat here. So hopefully I'm not uh, offending people too badly, at least. I hope that I do not do that. I am not trying to put people down or be cruel in any way. I am just trying to use the analogies that Vin brought up. I'll blame Vin for this. And uh, I am pushing those even further. And the analogies that I brought up myself. I guess I brought up the tree analogy originally. And so, yes, I am trying to elaborate on these things. It is okay if you have a different opinion on religion or on the spiritual realm or accessing these things or any of these things. That is okay. It is perfectly fine to disagree on even very important matters. We can still learn from each other. We can still have a conversation. And so hopefully that doesn't completely turn you off if there are aspects that I have mentioned that you don't agree with. If you listen to the entire Our Foundations podcast, every season, every episode, I guarantee you there is something that you will disagree with. There are probably many things you'll disagree with. And that is okay. That is perfectly fine. That's how we learn. And it doesn't mean that I'm always right or that you're always right. That's just uh, kind of a lost art in today's society. But getting back to the tree analogy, you are either part of one tree or part of the other. That is a biblical concept as well. You're either for me or against me. You have Jesus saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have the whole principle of the kingdom of God, and you have the kingdom of God as a set-apart group of people, whether that be the physical nation of Israel or the more immaterial structure of the church and Christianity. Either way, it's a set apart people that are connected to the tree of the kingdom of God, to the tree of life, the tree of the logos. And the idea here is that you are either a part of that tree or you are a part of the other tree. You're not a branch that grows from both trees. That doesn't happen. That's not the way things work. And part of how you identify which tree someone is a part of, despite what they say, and even despite what they think at times, you can deceive yourself, that is very possible, would be the fruit that they produce. If they're producing good fruit, then you know that they are part of the, uh, I'll say it, good tree. I should have used something different here because that is putting a value judgment on these things that I attempt not to do at least. But if you are producing fruit that is in line with the natural way of things, I think it's probably a better way of saying it, then you are probably a part of the tree that follows the natural order. If you are producing fruit that is in line with manipulating the natural order of things, maybe some transhumanist fruit, then you are probably a part of the tree that is trying to control and manipulate and change the natural order of things. And that is definitely a different tree, a tree of opposites here. And so those are the options. Now, Vin does say that it will find you talking about uh, it's not necessarily that 
you will go out seeking and try really hard and you will end up finding the Most High, finding the Trinity, finding the path that it will find you. And there is a principle here biblically of being called or the elect or being predestined, but there are also dangers with that, just like all of this other stuff. So especially the idea of the elect, you had that historically cause a lot of trouble when people thought that they were part of the elect. Therefore, no matter what they do, they are predestined to be the members of the kingdom and they are saved and they are good and they are forgiven. And so they can live however they want, do whatever they want, be evil if they want because they're the elect, so it doesn't matter. They're already predestined to go to a better place. And so that's a dangerous thing. Also, if you are not seeking, then it is probably less likely that you will find the, uh, let's say, the natural spiritual path in at least the framework that we are laying out here, the kingdom of God, that you will be a part of that if you're not seeking at all. Now, that does happen all of the time. And so I'm not by any means saying that it is extremely rare and it's not going to happen for you. No, that does happen. But if you are desiring to be a part of that kingdom, then you should seek. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. It's that whole idea. And so I think that is something that Vin is encouraging us all to do is try to grow our personal experience in seeking the most high. And prayer is the method that Vin really highlights in this process. There was something else mentioned about the Bible and how it was put together centuries later, but uh, it does deserve, like all of this, further elaboration. And that would be the clarification that the New Testament was largely circulating within the lifetime of the disciples. And so uh, shortly after Jesus was gone and you had the disciples spreading the word, they were writing letters to these different churches that had sprung up. And these letters were already circulating around the Christian communities. And those letters are where we get the New Testament, by and large, at least. The entire New Testament was circulating to some extent within that lifetime of the disciples. So it's not like a hundred years later, they're like, oh, we've got all these different random things. Let's pick the ones that we think are right. Well, no, there was already some sort of consensus on what was true and what was not. And there were a lot of battles on that even very early on within the early ministry of the disciples. There were a lot of debates here where people were coming in and preaching things that were contrary to what the disciples of Jesus had been teaching. And so this is something that was worked out to a large extent very early on. So although the Bible was not technically put together as one, as far as the New Testament is concerned, until centuries later, it was circulating and there was consensus around it extremely early on within the life of the disciples who were taught directly by Jesus. And so that is something that definitely lends extra credence. You have something like the book of Enoch that was written prior to Christ even being born and being alive at all. And it has a lot of what we would think of as Christian ideas and concepts and theology. And yet it was written well before the time of Christ and Christians even existed. Another validation would be that history shows that the events that can be clarified have been shown to be historically accurate. Now, there are plenty of things that can't be confirmed, but even the Jews who hated Jesus and said he was a heretic, 
they even, in their own writing, say that, yes, there was this man that was going around performing all of these miracles. Now, they say it was because he was possessed or part of some evil spiritual path, but they are still confirming the historical accuracy of the existence of Jesus and him going around doing these miraculous things. And so there are lots of different examples like this, whether it be through archaeology or through other writings and things like this. And so there is a lot of validation from many different sources. And it's it's kind of like that idea of the rhetoric of how do these things get communicated to us by the Most High? Well, there are all these different ways that it's communicated, nature, history, uh, the saints, revelation, the spirit, all of these different sources, the scriptures. And it's similar to validating the accuracy of the Bible. There are many different ways of doing that, living it out and seeing the impact it has on you, following what it says in seeking the most high and see what happens within you. Um, you also, again, have the aspect of looking at history. You have the historical aspect of these being circulated and agreed upon very early on, all of these different things. So when Vin says that the future determines the past in the context of validating the Bible, that is an aspect. That is one of those pieces. And for the perception of the validity of the Bible, I would say, yes, that is true. And as one piece of the puzzle, in fact, I would say, yes, that is true. But for the overall truth of it, can you say that it's true just because it's lasted so long? No, that by itself is not going to give you a concrete answer to that question. And so I would say it's kind of like the, the magic, let's say, of gender. So through genetic manipulation or through language, you can change what it means to be a certain gender or which gender you are. But these things do not change the chromosomes that exist at a much smaller level within you. Those things would be more of the foundational truth. Those are things that are not changed. They are a truth that exists that can be validated. But, however, if you do make the genetic changes, the physical alterations, the uh, magic of language in changing your gender, then you will be perceived as being the gender that you are transitioning into. And so, in a way, you who may have been a man are now a woman. Yes, to an extent, that is true. Just like the fact that the Bible's been around for thousands of years, so it is true. Well, in a way, yes, that is true. But when you really dig down into it, that doesn't give the full validity to the Bible. There, there has to be more there to get to ultimate foundational truth and accuracy. And so you have to dig a little deeper, and there has to be something to back that up on a level of ultimate reality. And the same would be true of gender. If you're going all the way down to the chromosomes and the chromosomes that existed when that human being was born, uh, that might tell a different story than what the perception is. There are plenty of other writings that have existed and been circulated for thousands of years. That doesn't mean that they are all true, that they are all explaining this true reality that is not necessarily the case. So it's a piece, but it is not the whole. Now, Vin does make a pretty strong statement to say that 
all of this, all of these things that we've been talking about, this is a matter of life and death. He is saying that in a very serious way. He has said in other interviews at other times that this is comparable to Germany back in the reign of the Nazis and concentration camps and all of these things. Uh, But you do have to understand that through the lens, the perspective, through the context of what Vin is talking about and what we are elaborating on here. So yes, this is life and death. That can be a physical life and death. That can also be spiritual life and death. That can be economic life and death. An example that I heard Vin make on an interview I listened to today was that we already have the concentration camps. We already have the gulags in the sense of fulfilling that purpose. And the analogy here would be that the purpose of the concentration camps and the gulags in a lot of ways was to take these people out of society, to isolate those ideas and the things that they were talking about and that dissent and get rid of it. That was the one of the main purposes of the gulags and these camps. And so if you fast forward to modern times through the technology that we have, now these same things are being accomplished, but in a different way. We don't have these physical concentration camps and gulags popping up that people are getting shipped off to, but we do have people getting cut off from society. We do have their voices being silenced. We do have the public square being completely Uh, managed and manipulated and controlled. And so that is serving the same function, the same purpose at the same level as we had seen historically in other very bad time periods. And so, uh, yes, this is life and death in many different ways. And there are many different aspects to that. But things might look a lot different differently than what you would imagine. And I would say the same would be true for those who are getting into the eschatology of Revelation and getting into uh, the end times and the prophecy of this and what this means. Uh, It can be very dangerous because more than likely, if you at least follow what the Bible says, um, going all the way back to the Old Testament, oftentimes the prophecies that are given ahead of time are perceived as something very different than what actually ends up happening. And because people have made up their minds about what this prophecy means and what this is going to look like, when it happens, they totally miss it because it's not what they are expecting. So be careful what you expect, both in a religious sense and in a sense of the direction society is going and what's really going on in the world. The mark of the beast might be an actual thing that is prophesied about a time to come, but whether it is or not, it is definitely a pattern that we see manifested in the world time and time again. Now, the vaccine is a good example of fitting that pattern. Now, that doesn't mean that the vaccine necessarily is the mark of the beast, but it does fit that pattern. It does serve that purpose of everyone receiving something willingly in order to be able to participate in society and in the economic system that reigns in a global economy 
Yes, the vaccine looks like it is performing that same role. It is fulfilling that symbolism and that pattern. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it is the one example of the mark of the beast according to, you know, chapter X and verse Y. So we can look at these patterns, and that's the same thing on the secular level about the gulags. What was the purpose of the gulags and what was being accomplished there? That is manifesting itself, that pattern, that symbolism, that idea, that concept is manifesting itself today, but in a different way. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to have gulags, but it is saying that those same things are going to happen. Those same goals are going to be accomplished. They will just happen in different ways. So be aware of that. With everything going on as a whole, it is very important not to act in reaction. You have this thing that Richard Grove says about you put thinking between stimulus and reaction. And that is that paradigm of you have stimulus reaction and uh, you have a similar thing when you talk about Hegelian dialectic. Um, it's that same concept where you have problem, reaction, solution. Notice that it's problem and straight to reaction and from reaction straight to solution. We need to insert thinking in between these things that are happening. And Hegelian dialectic can also be thought of as thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And so this is explaining the same thing, that you have a thesis, you have an idea, you have a thing, and then you go straight to the complete opposite of that thing, the antithesis, and then you end up with just a merging of the two. And that would be your synthesis. And so uh, all of these things are used for manipulation, and you will be manipulated if you fall into that. If you insert critical thinking in between these different steps, something happens, you see something going on, you hear about a certain idea or concept, and you think about it critically, you assess that, you dig a little deeper, you maybe look at the patterns, you look at the symbolism, you look at the history, you look at the spiritual aspect of things, you pray about it, you do all of these things, then that can save you. That can save you from being a part of this manipulation that is being carried out. And sometimes that manipulation is being carried out in a way that is directly targeting you. And sometimes it is just playing out in a way that does manipulate you, even if it's not directly targeting you. And so we need to insert the critical thinking in between these things. We also need to make sure that we are focused more on love versus hatred, on pity over anger, on serving over conquering. These are opposites. Again, the two opposite kingdoms. We have two options in how to deal with things. How do you deal with somebody that is trying to push the vaccine? How do you deal with somebody that wants you to wear three masks at all times, even when you're in the car by yourself or walking down the street? You know, How do you deal with these people? You can deal with it through anger. You can react. You can have direct resistance. You can have physical resistance, physical warfare, or you can take the spiritual warfare front. You can try to help that person. You can have pity for that person. You can ask for mercy for that person. You can still be loving. Even if you say, no, I'm not going to do that. You can do that in a kind way. And you know what I'm talking about. You can do that kindly and you can do that not kindly. And so I would say that that is showing the fruit. The, the action that you take in response to 
in a situation like that, that action is your fruit. And you can look at that fruit and see which tree you are coming from. And so try to be sure that your fruit matches the tree that you want to be a part of. And if it doesn't, then you probably need to do a little more assessing on yourself at a deeper level and make sure that you are aligned with the kingdom, with the theology, with the natural order that you want to be aligned with. Now, at the end of the episode, I gave Vin a few quick questions that were a little more random, and he talked about something that was really interesting, I thought, about social media and the whole model behind it, the bullhorn model that's all focused on popularity. It's, uh, like I mentioned about prayer for the Church of Woke, it's sending out these ideas and emotions out into the ether, out for everyone, for anyone, for who knows, for some entity, we don't know. Um, It's just sending it out there to the abyss. And instead, what Vin recommends is something that is a little less empty and more focused around intentional echo chambers, where you have people that are united around common values and that are sharing information and sharing ideas in a more intentional way, that that is much more beneficial. That's much more productive. And I 100% agree with him. In the agorist group that I'm a part of in my local area, We have a Discord server where we have started different channels and rooms where we talk about different subjects, and that can be very helpful, very beneficial. If I have a question about something, I can go to the uh, gardening channel and ask about it, or the animal husbandry channel, or I can go over to health, or I can go to any of these other sections that we have. And the people that are going to see those questions are people that are aligned with my way of thinking, that are focused on similar values that I am focused on. I am not going to get someone who tells me to spray Roundup on a bunch of weeds if I'm asking about, you know, a weed problem I'm having. They're going to offer me natural solutions because we are oriented around the same things. And so uh, that is something that, you know, I have even personally found to be extremely beneficial. And you're getting meaningful connections here. There's another aspect that's related um, that's just slightly different that I have heard heard Richard Grove mentioned recently. I've mentioned him a few times. He is the Peace Revolution guy as well as the, what's the new one? Grand Theft World is the newer podcast. And those are both highly recommended. But he talks about how long form content is really where it's at. That's what you need to be consuming if you really care about these things. Because when you just shorten everything down to these little snippets to a little 30 minute episode, are you really learning a whole lot? Or are you just being exposed to a few ideas and that's it on a more surface level? And so if you want to dig deeper, again, it's the social media model. It's are you just sending out this uh, character limited tweet? Or are you reading an entire book? That is a very different thing. And so the latter is what you do if you want to learn. The former is what you do if you want to participate in the social media sphere, if you want to be a part of the Church of Folks, so to say. But if you are actually trying to learn and better yourself, you need more long-form long content. And that is something that I would definitely agree with. This could be brought down to a personal level where you have conversation and debate instead of, oh, yeah, the weather's nice, isn't it? Or, oh, did you hear about this or that? And just kind of small talk. 
there is a place for small talk. There's nothing wrong with small talk. But if all you ever do is small talk, you're not really progressing. You're not growing those relationships. You're not really learning a whole lot. You're not sharpening your skills of critical thinking. You're not being open to other perspectives. And I would say that's not nearly as helpful and productive and profitable for you. For a final note, one of the recommendations that Vin gave is one that has been extremely helpful for me personally that I've really enjoyed, and that would be Jonathan Paggio. He has his own podcast, and that would be The Symbolic World, and that's one that I have really enjoyed. I actually listened to a few episodes of that today while I was at work and while I was driving, and that's one if you are especially interested in this realm of symbolism and patterns, and especially looking at that through a religious lens. Uh, Jonathan Paggio is Orthodox Christian, and so he is uh, looking from that perspective and uses a lot of uh, biblical patterns, but he's also looking at like modern movies and books and fairy tales and all of these different sources and finding these underlying patterns and comparing them and pulling out meaning from that. Uh, that has been super helpful. And one that's slightly connected, uh, he did an interview on the Lord of Spirits podcast, and they are also uh, Christian Orthodox. And that's not one that Vin directly recommended. But if you are interested in the spiritual realm uh, from a Christian biblical perspective, but tying in ancient mythology and history and the uh, spirituality of all of this, the angels and demons and giants, these types of things, then uh, the Lord of Spirits podcast is one that you would definitely enjoy and get a lot out of. It looks like I was actually able to finish all of the elaborations in one episode. So that is pretty exciting. I am glad that I got to do that because I am really looking forward to the next episode that is coming out. I believe, if I remember right, this is going to be a two-part uh, interview that I did with Michael Vlahos that I think went very well. We talked about some similar things to Vin's Dimage theory, but we're getting back into looking at society as a whole and comparing that to historical cycles and aspects and uh, digging into some of these ideas. We're getting away from the spiritual world and getting back into uh, what you might say is the real world, getting back into uh, what's actually going on in in society today, not from a spiritual perspective, but with a lot of historical context, and that is something that is very helpful. So that will be what you will hear next week in the following episode, and then I'll probably do a few episodes myself, kind of wrapping up, uh, in a sense, all of the problems, the state of things, so to say all in preparation for the next season of the podcast, which is focused on solutions in the form of community and looking at the early Christian church and the uh, format and structure that they used, how successful that was and why that was successful, some of their views on how to interact with the state and comparing that with agorism, these types of things. That is the next season. But in between me kind of wrapping up all of the problems and the assessment of of what's going on today and getting into the community solutions 
In between, I think you will be very pleased to hear that uh, Vin Armani has agreed to do a follow-up interview where we are going to get into those types of topics about community, about actual action, about his crypto community in Saipan, as well as his religious community he's built there, as well as his views on community, as well as just action in general, using things like technology, through maybe cryptocurrency, blockchain, these types of things he's very involved with, as well as more physical things that you can do and be a part of the agorist movement and counter economics, these types of things. So at least that's the plan. Uh, I must say that we have not done this interview yet. We are planning on doing that in the near future. And so we will probably discuss these things and there will probably be plenty of tangents and other things that we get into. But now that he has officially agreed to do that and it is scheduled and on the calendar, I thought I should at least let you guys know that there is more Ven Armani to look forward to in the future because uh, that is something that you guys have really enjoyed so far. So that is where we are. That is where we are going. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your support, for your contributions that you've made financially, as well as the ratings, the reviews, the word of mouth recommendations, the feedback that I get. All of this stuff is extremely helpful. I really appreciate it. It is very encouraging that there are so many people that are interested in this content and these concepts, these ideas, and learning more about this stuff. And that is something that I am trying to promote and trying to bring to you in a way that is both accessible and digestible, as well as fairly in-depth, really getting into the weeds and some of this stuff. So please feel free to email me. That is probably the best way to communicate. That is rfoundations at protonmail.com. Let me know what kinds of things that you want to hear more about. Let me know some of your general feedback. Let me know some of the things you have issues with. If you disagree with something, please share that with me. So until next time, I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.